Hi, it's Mackenzie, and this is the Mill Spouse Reef. Happy Friday, you guys. I hope you had a wonderful week. Um, some exciting things happened in our week. So this week, Cade got promoted. So he's now a corporal, which my family loves because now he's Corporal Caden Culver. So they call him Triple C, which I think is funny. And this is actually the first uh, promotion that I've ever been to. And so that was really fun. Every time Cade's ever gotten promoted before, it was just when I was not in town. And so it was fun to be there and kind of pin him. And Cade does a really good job about keeping his home and work life separate, which I appreciate. But sometimes it's hard because I don't know the faces or the people he's talking about when he comes home and tells stories or he's like, oh, I have to go help this person or this person called. And so being able to kind of put faces with names was really helpful and to be like, okay, when you talk about blank, this is who you're talking about. This is the name and the face I'm seeing. So that was really fun. And then just overall getting to kind of see the ceremony and how it works and all that kind of thing. I just, I really enjoyed it. And then I was traveling all week working. So I had a training for a new product that I'll be on in the headquarters so it was in Omaha Nebraska so I was there this week and it's kind of funny when since I travel so much and people will ask about my travel they'll be like oh where are you going and you know and it's really funny how like as a society we kind of dub certain states as like oh that's a cool state and like other states it's like oh that's not really cool <laughs> and I just think it's funny because I travel to all of them that when I say like oh I'm going to this one it's like oh that's so cool and then if I go to another one so like for example the fact that I live in California is so cool yet when I was like yeah I have to go to Nebraska and they're like oh what's in Nebraska and so I don't know if it's just because I travel so much so I try to just find the like fun in whatever wherever I go or something to do but I really think every state has cool parts to it and I think you kind of just have to like find those but it is really funny people's reactions when they find out which state I'm going to and then I had a really awesome experience this week as well. Um, one of my listeners, who is not military, she's a civilian listener, and um, she is talking about how her family was military, and because she had been listening to the podcast, she was able to kind of explain to her mom why, so her mom was getting frustrated that the cousin, who's in the military, was struggling to commit to a date for family vacation because of leave. And of course, like we talk about to civilians, that's frustrating. It's like, why can't you commit and all these kind of things. And my friend, um, I'll shout her out. She's one of my loyal listeners. Her name is Miss Cook. Um, she was able to kind of explain to her mom like, hey, this is how leave works because she's been listening to the podcast, which is really honestly like the end goal of this podcast to bridge that gap and to bring information to have people kind of better understand military life. And so I'm just really grateful, and when she texted me, like, it just made my heart swell. I was so happy. Um, and she was like, I feel so, like, I know so much now, and I, like, can understand it better. And, like, she was talking about MOS, and I didn't have to ask you what that was, and just all those kinds of things. And I was just so happy and proud, and it just, I think it kind of, like, showed me that doing this podcast is worth it, and that, like, it's, it's helping other people, and it's helping me, and I'm just really grateful for that. I was also able to do my first Zoom recording for a podcast this week, and you guys will hear her in two weeks, so I'm really excited for that because she is amazing, you guys. And then it kind of just helps me know that we can do other guests that aren't in here, and so I feel like that's just really good to know, and I think it broadens who can come on the podcast and the information that we can share, so I feel like that's just exciting. And this week, you guys, we have... 
such amazing guests on. So we have Bill and Spencer on. So if you've listened to some of the other podcasts, Spencer came on with his wife, Jade, and they came on a couple weeks ago and they've become um, friends and they are literally the best. They are expecting, and I don't know if we covered that completely in the podcast or not, but they just announced it to the world and they posted the cutest mom and dad like hat pictures with the ultrasound and their dog and oh my gosh, they were the cutest. So they came on and they, during their episode, they talked about mental health and the importance of it. And then when they were over for dinner the other night, they talked about how Spencer had a friend who is a behavioral like psychanal, um, I think that, yeah, he like works in behavior psych and down in Coronado for Sears school and he's also a corpsman and all these kinds of things and I was like oh my gosh will you talk to him and see if he'll come on and he was so kind to take time out of his day and then Spencer joined as well which I think just made the conversation 10 times better because they were able to like kind of go back and forth and share experiences and guys it was so good I am so excited for you guys to listen I learned a ton and I think there's some really valuable knowledge and resources in this episode and I'm just so grateful to be able to do an episode like this and to kind of break the stigma of mental health and to talk about it more and to have that knowledge I think floating around out there is really good and it's something that I'm really passionate about and so without further ado here is Spencer and Bill. Okay, so I'm here with Bill and Spencer. So, Bill, how about you introduce yourself? Yeah, hello. um, My name is Billy, and uh, I've been in the Navy coming up on 10 years now. Um, I am a hospital corpsman, and I hold uh, a secondary uh, classification as a behavioral health technician. So, I specialize in mental health, and I work with all types of mental health providers, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, nurse practitioners, uh, things like that. And so... Yeah, I've done that for my whole career. Um, I worked out on Coronado at survival school, uh, teaching the psychological aspects um, of captivity or when our service members get captured, how to conduct themselves. Um, before that, I was in Pensacola, Florida at the Naval Hospital there. Oh, cool. Um, so is that how you met Spencer? It is, yeah. So there's a branch clinic down there that him and I worked at together. Uh, and so when he checked in, you know, we hit it off. We all... the few of us that got along uh, had similar interests, football, sports, stuff like that. So, you know, it was pretty easy to get along with Spencer. Um, And for people listening, Spencer and his wife, Jade, they were on the podcast a couple weeks ago. So if you haven't listened to their episode, theirs was really great. Um, And he's the one that let me know about Bill. So that's why he's here to also talk about his experiences and stuff like that. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Thank you so much for coming. So... Let's like backtrack all the way back to you joined the Navy. What kind of made you want to join the Navy? Yeah, so first off, uh, I didn't have any money for school, so okay. uh, and I was not wanting to pay for it. So <laughs> that's kind of the big big deal for high schoolers once you graduate, you know. So and where were um, you born and raised? Or you in Arizona? Okay. Yeah, so born and raised in well, I was born in Phoenix and then pretty much raised in New Arizona. Okay. And so. No, you know, family background in the military. Mm-hmm. My brother and I were pretty much the first ones to join, uh, besides our grandfather, but um, that was way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so I joined in 2011, and then 
you know, just my mom's a, a nurse practitioner. So I knew if I did join, I wanted to work in the medical field. And so I didn't know, you know, what all that entailed. Um, so once I went to the Navy recruiter, um, one of my best friends joined a year before I did. So he was the, the guy who took me in to introduce yeah. me to, to his recruiter and kind of break that ice a little bit. Um, I just told him what I wanted and you know, they made it work. So it was oh, that's cool. awesome. So you knew you wanted to do medical. Is that why you chose the Corman route? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it was pretty simple. I didn't think it would be that difficult to join. So, mm-hmm. um, once we signed the paperwork and the contract, you know, shipped off to boot camp, and then the rest is history. So. Okay, cool. So you did boot camp, and then I'm trying to remember. I know because my husband's right. I know more about like your so because Spencer and Jay did the same thing. So you do boot camp in like what Chicago area? Yes. And then you go to A school. Yes. Where is A school at? In San Antonio, Texas. Okay. So I know Spencer. He's been in a couple more years longer than I have. So uh, he went to school in Chicago. That's where our medical um, A school was, core school. Okay. Uh, but they recently transitioned to San Antonio. Um, That's a cool area though. Yeah. And so they combined um, all of the branches together. So Army, Air Force, and Navy uh, Medical all get trained together on one campus. So okay. um, I was one of the first you know, classes to, to like experience, that. experience that. Yeah. And so what was it like being trained with Air Force and Army at the same time? It was cool. We always had a I'll never forget a quote, um, an old chief said, who's our class instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, it's, it's, a, it's basically like riding an aircraft, you know, building an aircraft mid-flight. So they didn't know how it how was going to work, like, you yeah. know, and so we just kind of, it was a lot of, you know, winging it behind the scenes apparently. Um, but as a student, you can't really tell. Because you know? Spencer, when you went to A school, it was just Navy, right? Just Navy. Okay. Yeah, only Corman. And we were like actually like separated. So like... The base at Great Lakes, like where everyone, almost all A schools were out of Chicago. Like all the other rates were over on one side and then there was a Corman side. So like we were by ourselves, like it was just Navy Corman and that was it. We'd venture off to the other side a little bit, but like we really didn't mess with the other rates too much. Uh, but yeah, it, I was, and I was like one of the last few classes. I think they moved like a year after I went okay. through. So, and I was in 2010. Okay, interesting. So then did Jay go to the San Antonio one? San Antonio. Okay, so from your experience and then her experience, and like I guess you guys can talk about it, is it really different or do you feel like they did a good job? Like is it different because you're having to do with Army and Air Force as well? I don't know. I mean, I guess that's, you hear stories and people crack jokes about the corpsmen who get trained in Texas aren't Mm -hmm. as sharp or they're not as, you know, skilled once they finish their initial training, but, you know, you have good and bad yeah. apples, you know, across the, the, the map. So um, I don't see any different from it, but, yeah. you know, you do hear the you do hear the jokes from the, the old guys. I think you'll hear the same jokes, like, with the Marines, whether you got trained at Paris Island or if you're, like, a Hollywood Marine that's, like, Pendleton. So I, I understand that. Definitely. Okay, so you do A school, and then where do you go after that? Yeah, so at the end of your training, um, at least when I went through, it was all GPA-related. Um, so whoever had the highest GPA in the class had the first dibs on orders. And so it kind of gave you incentive to study hard and and to do good. Um, But before that, they had these secondary schools that they needed to fill. So there was about... What does a secondary school mean? It's a... So an NEC, it's a Navy enlisted classification. Okay. So you're... So we all get trained initially at core school and then you can specialize in a sub... Like a subspecialty. So dental, psych, 
Um, oh, okay. Radiology. Okay, so kind of like lab. a residency for like med school type thing. If you want to like cherry like specialize in things like that, you'd have to do a different re- residency, like a more schooling, if you want to specialize. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, so they have you know their I think it was about ten seats for like three schools or something that they needed to fill. Um, there was only one for psych, so I have always thought that psychology was cool. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of hopped on it at that point, and um, you know I was lucky enough to to have a good GPA at that point so you know it was I volunteered and they gave it to me and so um, after core school I just went across the street to another building where they had you know a bunch of the specialty schools um, you know where they were training all their corpsmen and stuff so uh, yeah I was able to class up for behavior health and how long are those schools it depends so mine is mine was like four months so Um, and then you, you can go anywhere from, you know, six months, eight months. It depends on the type of school that you go to. Okay. So, yeah. Like I go to IDC school next April, it's a year. So oh, okay. yeah, it just depends on what. Okay, so kind of just like your MOS, depending on how long your school is, yeah. if your intelligence is longer versus artillery or infantry. Okay. So that's just kind of the basis of that. So you yeah. go to that school and you learn about psych and behavioral health. Yep. And did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was so fun. Hard? Yeah, it was cool. We, we had a pretty small class, so. Um, you know, a core school class ranges anywhere, I would say 40 to 50 students. Mm-hmm. Um, my psych, my psych class only had about like 20. So, okay, so you're a little bit more like hands on with the instructor and can like ask more questions. And yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. And so, you know, we were integrated with the army and air force as well. So, you know, we had their, um, I can't remember what their, uh, classifications are, but you know, their BHTs and, yeah. and, and their, um, uh, branch as well. So it was cool. We all got along really well and. Um, we were able to, you know, learn basic fundamentals of like how to do a psych interview um, of a new patient. So if you come in to see a provider, uh, you typically see the corpsman first. Yeah. And so we'll gather all of the this long, extensive history of, you know, why you're coming to see us, family history, yeah. uh, stuff like that. And so um, we, we learned the basics of that. And then, uh, yeah, they sent us on our way. So Okay, so you where do you go after that? Do you like hit the fleet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, well, I was given another school. Um, okay. So I was, yeah, I was in training for like a year. So, uh, but field medical, you know. Uh, Is that the school that Jade had to go to in Jacksonville? Yeah. She okay. went to, yeah. So anytime you go with the Marines, you have to do the field medical. Oh, so you were stationed with the Marines? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that? Were you oh, like, I loved it. Yeah. Okay. So it was you cool. Were like, yeah, anyone who's a corpsman wants to be with the Marines. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of. That's what we uh, told Jaden Spencer. We're like, hey, if you hate Marines, we won't like take it personal. It's fine. Like, no, we love Marines. We love them. <laughs> yeah. You know, I hope to come back to Pendleton someday if if I can. You know. Yeah. Um. But no, I had a good time. It was. It was okay. A good time. So then you do your field field medical, and then you go to Pensacola. And then I go to Pensacola. Okay. Yeah. What'd you do in Pensacola? So I just worked at a uh, an an out excuse me, outpatient clinic. So okay. we didn't have inpatient services there. It was too small of a hospital. Um, but, you know, so I just worked the eight to five, mm-hmm. you know, front desk uh, clinic stuff, um, working with the docs, checking in patients, grabbing vital signs, basic Corman stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you enjoy that? Or? It was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of, you know, I didn't get to do a whole lot of, um, you know, behavior health tech stuff because mm-hmm it's all provider preference if they trust you or not. Okay. Um, and the docs we had at the time just were pretty hands off, yeah. uh, with Corman, which is fair. That's their preference. Cause I did have providers that had me do everything. So, okay. 
you know, it's, it's just the ebb and flow of, of working with different people. So, um, yeah, I was able to, you know, promote there and, and take advantage of opportunities there, go That's to school, awesome. stuff like that. How long were you there in Pensacola? Four years. Four years, okay. Yeah. So, and then was your um, enlistment five, four, six, like with the Navy, your first enlistment? So, yeah, so it's pretty much five for, okay. for everybody. Um, you know, uh, yeah, we have a five-year okay. initial contract. So, obviously, you re-enlisted. What I was did. your thought process behind that? I just, I, I promoted, so I made E5 before my first enlistment was done. So, you know, I was able to promote pretty quick. Um, and then I just, I just loved it. I, I like what the Navy is. I like what our mission is. Yeah. I like what we do. I like Navy medicine. So, um, yeah, I just said, why not? You know, let's see where this takes me. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So from Pensacola, you re-enlisted and is that when you got new orders? I, yes. Yeah. And I went up to North Carolina, um, stationed with second Marine division. Okay. So, so same as you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did you like Lejeune? I did, yeah. So you hear, you know, obviously people prefer Camp Pendleton to Lejeune. You know, the West Coast is better, whatever, stuff like that. Um, I, I, we enjoyed it. You yeah. know, my wife and I enjoyed it. So. Oh, wait, so back up real quick. When did you meet her? When did you guys get married? Oh, so Carly and I have known each other for, I'd say, 10 years now or so. So okay. uh, we met in high school. Um, and then I, we started dating uh, about, what, 2010, 2011? And so, uh, right before I took off for the Navy. Okay, so and she then, was with you through all of it. Yeah, okay. yeah, and then we got married in 2015, so okay. 2015. Okay, that's awesome. So you guys go to North Carolina. Yeah. And then, so you did like Lejeune. I did. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. This the area is cool. Um, it's, I love Jacksonville. Yeah, it's really <laughs> building. Like you know, you can shop, you can eat, you can do whatever you want there, and then. Uh, we travel a lot. There's a lot yeah, to... There's so much clothes. Like, yeah. you, you can go... And I feel like, yeah, it gets a really bad rap, but you can go to D.C., you can go to New York, you can go to Florida, you can, mm -hmm. like, you can go anywhere. And, like, the West Coast, I feel like driving because how the freeways are set up is very frustrating. So, like, mm -hmm. being on the 5 for 15 hours, yeah, that's not enjoyable. But East Coast, there's so many freeways that it, you just look at the map. Which way is the quickest? Which way has less traffic? Like... And then you can go so many places. For sure. Yeah, we definitely took advantage of it. So yeah. we did travel quite a bit. And, we were and the outdoor life there is great. So like if you're a hunter or fisherman, like they, there's plenty of stuff to do. So yeah. That, that was my like spot. Like I didn't necessarily care as all the stuff close, but yeah, hunting and fishing on like on base, you can do it and yeah. it's perfect. So. Oh, that is so cool. So you were with uh, 2nd Marine Division. Mm -hmm. What was your job at Camp Pendleton or what did you do? Yeah, so we worked... Um, you know, I worked with a regimental, you know, psycholo psychology team, psychiatry oh, so you team. Did get to do that. I and, did, yeah. Okay. So we did work. It's called an embedded mental mental health unit. So mm -hmm. we are, you know, it was me, another corpsman, um, behavioral health tech, and then we had a psychiatrist and psychologist. So we were responsible for Eighth uh, Marine Regiment. So, oh, that's so, um, cool. so we were kind of the, you know, the hub for you know, one eight, two eight, three eight, and then the regiment. Okay. Um, and so we, you know, pretty much just took care of all those guys. And if uh, they had any issues or need, needed any help or whatever, we were there for them. So, um, yeah, it was a blast. You know, it's definitely not like a traditional hospital setting. Mm -hmm. So I was able to, you know, go on a de deployment. I was able yeah, to. Yeah, so what did you do with that? How, like, what was that kind of like? Because we've heard about kind of their deployments where you're with the Marine units, like as the behavioral psych person. Yeah. How does that yeah, so do you do the same things or is it different? For sure, yeah. So we um, 
we get to operate kind of independently okay. because the mental health providers are you know too valuable to let go on a deployment or a trip or okay. a TAD or something. So they'll te- they'll let the corpsman go, and then we work, kind of work independently through the medical officer of whoever we're working with, so yeah. a primary doctor or something like that. Um, so anyway, the Marine Corps made a deal with uh, the Norwegian forces, um, the you know Norway military to you know train in uh, like cold weather, Arctic conditions and stuff like that. So train you guys or you train them? Both. So oh, so the Norwegians cool. are like the experts at anything cold. So you know they. Which do we even have that many military bases in like cold areas? I think we have one in Alaska, right? But like other than that, we're like coast where it's like somewhat warm most of the time yeah and so they it was a trip so we ended up going to norway and you know they are you know wearing nothing outside no beanie no gloves and like negative 10 degree weather and you're like oh my gosh i'm like bubbled up like an eskimo yeah looking like eskimos right because we have to and it's just you want to you know because it's too cold um and so it's 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 a trip so they kind of taught us how to you know train and and uh, maneuver through you know Cold, uh, cold weather environments and stuff and then their military tactics and you know doctrine and stuff aren't as strong as ours so okay. the marines were there to teach them you know fundamentals oh. unit size operations and stuff so it was cool it was a cool trade-off um so i was there uh, for you know mental health services but also you know norway has the endless night and the endless summer so they have you know the way they're located on the, the globe or whatever mm-hmm. um, during the summer they get 20 hours of sunlight wow. and then during the winter they get 20 hours of darkness so oh my um, gosh I can imagine what that would be like to yeah so like the four hours that you got sunlight would just be crazy you wouldn't even want to leave the house because everybody's leaving the house yeah everybody would just stand outside you know and stare yeah. at the sun you know and then they go back inside when it's dark so um, you can you can kind of see why like people would kind of get sad right and, yeah and, oh because they're uh, what's it called like um seasonal Affective disorder. Yes. Yeah. So it's actually, you know, it makes sense that it's called sad. But um, we did have a lot of guys that, you know, their chemical imbalance in their their brain, you know, or just you're not as motivated. You're, you're, you feel more depressed. Um, you know, things like that. And so we were really pushing to, uh, you know, get to the gym, mm-hmm. eat. You know, just do basic. So uh, is that kind of your? to like branch off again on something new but like what if someone's listening and they're like okay yeah I do experience that like what would be the basic things that you're like this is what can help you if you don't want to get on medication because that's what I did learn from Spencer and James was that medication is the last thing that you push but to like most civilians in your mind you're like oh I'll just give you a medicine type thing sure um yeah so you know the it's it's kind of I don't know um I don't know what to call it but um I would. I don't want to say self-explanatory, but you know, it is like just going outside for a walk, mm-hmm. or you it's know, things you don't think about that you need to do. Yeah, okay. you know, calling a friend, texting a friend, um, you know, getting up, walking around. You know, don't sit on the couch all day. Yeah. Uh, things like that. Um, you know, there are these uh, like blue lights that you can get that will stimulate like sunlight. Oh, that's And so, cool. like, you can have them on this. You're not supposed to look at them directly, but. Um, that's what we did for our guys when we were away. They bought us a bunch of them and I kind of, um, you know, had a room set up mm-hmm. where I'd you let like six people at a time for half an hour or something. They'd play on their phones while they get this indirect sunlight. Yeah. 
Um, well, I don't know if you've ever seen, but it reminds me of the Grey's Anatomy episode where they like had these different rooms. Like one was like full of plants, and that was like very therapeutic to some people. And then one like had like rushing water, and then one had different lights, and it was like sitting in that room made a big difference for mm -hmm. the doctors and like the patients themselves. Yeah, and it's not like a, a overall fix; it's only temporary. Yeah. Um, but if that gets you, you know, enough juice to where you're like, well, okay, I can go work out today or I can, okay. you know, go get a good meal at the chow hall instead mm -hmm. of, you know, eating Doritos and <laughs> yeah. monster in my room, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, that's what hopefully it, it got people up and moving, yeah. you know, and then during your deployment, did you feel like you saw an influx of guys that kind of needed to come talk to you and need help? Or do you feel like it's before and after, or is it just like a more steady state of you doing your job. Not saying that you don't do your job, but like how the guys and specifically like Marines, like how they act during deployments. Sure. So I was, I was pretty impressed, um, on, on my deployment that the unit cohesion of like a line company mm -hmm. and, you know, um, you know, uh, like a squad or something would, they're pretty tight knit. So yeah. if someone was struggling, they figured out how to get them going by themselves. Um, and then, you know, of course I did you know, see a few people here and there, yeah. uh, but it wasn't, I would say maybe three or four people that I saw the extended length of our trip. Mm -hmm. um, but if someone was kind of down and out, either the corpsman who was responsible for them would come find me and, and ask for tips or, you know, they'd be like, Hey man, we, we need this guy to talk to you. And so, yeah. um, it was pretty cool to see, like I, my services weren't really needed. Mm -hmm. Like it, I was glad to be there and I was glad to help, but, uh, you know, for the most part, they, they take care of themselves yeah. within the unit, so. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, so you did your deployment. How long was it? Six months. Six months, and then you come back to Lejeune, mm -hmm. and then you were there for how long? So I was there for three years overall, okay. um, but I got back in April of 2019, and then I moved in August of 2019. Okay, so then you got new orders with for what? Down here in San Diego, so I work at uh, survival school for the okay. Navy, so... It's called a SEER school, so survive, evade, yeah. resist, escape. Um, Kid's best friend just went through it because he's a Navy rescue swimmer. Yeah, there you go. So, yep, we teach all types of... Um, yeah, so go into that. What do you do with that school? Yeah, so we teach, you know, pre predominantly uh, aviation rates because they're the ones who are going to be flying, you know, over foreign lands and, and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, pilots, air crew, um, like your, your husband's friend, um, you know... Uh, Marine Corps recon. So yeah, that's true. I do have a friend whose husband's recon, and she was telling me about that, and I was like, oh my god. Yeah, and so we we teach, you know, and then a couple other like EOD guys, mm -hmm. um, you know, some guys that intel personnel who oh, okay. you know stuff like that. Uh, so we teach them how to conduct themselves in a like a captivity or a captive state. So you know, hypothetical if they get caught or captured, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a code of conduct in the military, so. That's kind of what our school is based on are the six articles of the code of conduct. Um, and so we teach them. So is that like, when you say code of conduct, is that like don't give up information or is that like, okay. Yeah, just all types of different things that, you know, you're not supposed to say, not supposed to do, uh, keep the faith, right? Like, so if the three of us at this table get captured, you know, we need to keep the faith with, amongst each other that, you know, we're all going to survive um, and things like that, so... So yeah. you so you've been there since you said August of 2019. Yeah. Okay, and then how are you liking it? Oh, it's fun. Yeah, it's a good time. You have to whoever works there has to go through it. So. Oh, so you had to go through it. I did. Yeah, I went through it in September 
of that year. Oh my gosh. Um, so can you give us a little like <coughs> quick rundown of like what you go through? So yeah, we can't really talk about it a whole lot, okay. but um, you know, it is just a scenario based training. So, okay. you know, if you know, we get, you go out to the field um, in a makeshift uh, scenario. So you're just putting different scenarios that could possibly happen. Yeah. And then is there like, so I question if this is true or not. Do you want them to break? Like, do you teach them like what their breaking point is, or is the point for them not to break? Or like how like how do you gauge success in Sears school? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So um, everybody reacts to it differently. Mm-hmm. So you know, you do have individuals who kind of breeze through the whole two weeks, you know, pretty seamlessly mm-hmm. uh, without a hitch. They they learn the material. They hit every wicket they need to hit. Um, you know, and then they kind of just go on with with their with their day. Uh, but then you have individuals who have never kind of been in a stressful environment before. So yeah. they uh, don't know how to manage their stress <laughs> yeah. and they don't know how to manage some of the emotions that they deal with uh, mm-hmm. when they're introduced to some of the, the things our instructors do. So, um, so yeah, so everybody's different. And okay. so we teach them, to answer your question, we teach them how to, uh, what is their utmost? So, okay. you know, what is your utmost of... Uh, you know each dilemma that you are introduced to okay so So then how do you like quote unquote succeed or is there like because obviously i totally understand you can't talk about details but like okay you have event one do you have like a certain max that you have to like do or like a certain time frame that you have to like withstand to like complete that event or is it more just like okay now you know how you respond to said event yeah they have i mean it's not we do have like a, a it's not hard to fail, right? Okay. Or it's not, um, yeah. So we do have like a, a crazy successful pass rate. So, mm-hmm. you know, no, we hardly drop and fail students that come through. Typically it's for a medical issue than anything. Okay. We don't drop a student for academic issues okay. unless they're like, just, they don't care, Yeah. which then that would go down another rabbit hole. But, <laughs> um, so we have, you know, uh, there's different wickets that the instructors need to track. Okay. And then once the students hit them, then they just okay. kind of move on. Interesting. And you said it's two weeks long? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, we teach about 22 classes a year. Wow. You know, it's, it's wash, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. You know, we have students for two weeks. We take a weekend and then we have another class coming in. So, wow. um, and so you said you're an instructor down there. Is it more like a nine to five or is it like oh you're doing something at four like how does that affect your work schedule no it's very it's very flexible so okay you know when when the students are in the classroom uh you know my not to brag but our days are like 10 to one yeah you know we only work three hours or so um but then when you're in the field then, like- then you're there for four days at a time so you know they do add up <laughs> so i go to the field twice a month Um, so I'm gone about six days to eight days a month. And is that like another, like, Hey, you're in the field and you got captured and then we're testing for things. Is that what you're doing in the field? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I teach, you know, I don't, so I'm not typically, like I'm not technically a SEER instructor. Okay. Um, those guys go through a different pipeline once, uh, once they get to our schoolhouse. Is that like an MOS to be a SEER instructor? It is another, like a billet. It is a billet. So. They have a three-month school that they have to go through. Okay. Um, that's pretty extensive, and you know they uh, they have to learn quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my role is we call it support staff. Okay. Um, so medical, you know, I work with the medical team, the the corpsmen, the docs, and then my I work with a psychologist who is um, our psych department. So 
Um, yeah, we support, we're in a supportive role okay. uh, to make sure that training's being done correctly and yeah. um, efficiently. And so, uh, but I do teach other aspects, like I do teach psych aspects. Okay, so, so when you said they're in the classroom, you do some of those classroom yeah. events. Yeah. Okay, that's so cool. Do you, so when they go through Sears school, do they also come talk to you like, hey doc, like I'm really struggling with this or like, do you see guys that go through Sears school or is that not necessarily? No, we do. So we'll have, um, you know, so before they have to get screened, before they even come to our schoolhouse. So, okay. you know, they kind of get. should have been what you were doing at other. Yeah, like the Marine units yeah. okay. screen their guys and, and girls and stuff. And then, uh, you know, aviation commands will screen their, their folks and stuff. And so, but by the time they come to SEER, they're pretty, pretty well, like, healthy. They're pretty healthy individuals. So, um, we don't really have a lot of issues uh, medically or psych related. Yeah. But we do have students that, that kind of crack, right, yeah. under pressure. And so, uh, the doc and I will work with them you know, kind of get them back on track, Yeah. you know, uh, remind them this is just training. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not, you're not in real life captivity. So yeah. and then once they kind of hear, even, like, I mean, as just a civilian, like I can't imagine, I can like, my imagination can imagine what you guys have to go through, you know, because you've heard prisoner of war stories and what they, and so obviously you take those and you recreate certain things like that. And I can only imagine the like switch that your brain has to do, but how hard that must be to like know it's fake but then it gets real because you mm -hmm. can't just like give up after five hours, you know, because mm -hmm. that's not real life. And then like how to come back, which is kind of what I want to talk about really quickly. So since Spencer's here, he opened up a little bit on the podcast of how coming home from his deployment in Afghanistan, right? Yep. How it was hard, you know, and how it's hard to make that switch. So as the behavior or Spencer, do you want to give like a little like background? Before on deployment and coming home. Yeah. So, yeah, so like in 2013, I deployed to Afghanistan, combat deployment with uh, 1st Battalion, 9th Marines, who is since deactivated. And I think that might have been like a lot of the issues that my unit had was because we were deactivated. Okay. Like Bill talks, like when he deployed with his uh, infantry battalion at 2nd Marine Division, like you take care of your boys, right? Yeah. Everybody, you, you get together, you make this... Uh, bond that sometimes is tired of the blood yeah. um and when we got back from deployment in 2013 one nine disbanded yeah. so first time 9th marines is only a wartime unit um so so if we went to war again would they make that up they again? would stand them back up yeah all ninth marines so yeah okay. there's one nine two nine and three nine on the east coast they they used to be on the west coast but they flipped back and forth and then fourth marines who's currently out here is a wartime yeah. unit and it's only if we're at war that yeah. becomes, and you're like, oh, well, I'm sent to war. Yeah, they just add another battalion because the influx of Marines yeah. that will come in, they need more room, right? And it's just oh, another battalion sure. to get in the rotation. So okay. so we came back, but the war was dying down. Yeah. So we killed off one nine there, and we we all just went to the wind. Yeah. You know, so like some of us went to 2-8, some of us went to the, at the time, the uh, new integrated battalion had stood up, so the one with the women and men. Oh, okay. Um, so a lot of guys went there, a lot of guys went to the other regiments. Um, so that was difficult to come back and not have your boys. We were all still in the same area, but we were all busy, yeah. you know? So I struggled a lot because when I got back um, and I was married to my first wife, it was hard for me to like be able to talk about things that had happened over there yeah. to her because she had never experienced that. Yeah. And, it, and it's a part of like going to war is not fun, right? Like, all these young guys want to do it and like yeah. you hear Marines say it constantly and I understand because like that's part of their job that's what they're trying to do like they people want to do their job right you don't yeah. 
you don't train for years and years to not do something that's it's it's upsetting so but you also can't train for exactly what you're going to experience mm-hmm. at war, which is what I feel like guys or my husband's age are like, hey, I signed up to do this, but the things you're taught at MCT or SOI or even boot camp can only recreate so much to then when you actually have like a Taliban guy in front of you yeah. and like you're experiencing that. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, there's a little bit of translation like lost in it and, it, and a lot of time it's, it's younger guys, right? Like yeah. young guys want to do it. And old guys have done it and don't want anyone else to have to do that, yeah. you know, and it, and it sucks, but it's something you don't learn until you go through it. Yeah. So like when I got back, I had a really hard time talking to my wife and being like, Hey, like I'm not the same guy that I was when I left because I had to do a lot of growing up. I saw a lot of bad stuff yeah. like while we were over there and it, it happens to the people that's closest to you. Like your mm-hmm. boys get hit and I think as Corman, it's a little, it wears on us a little bit different because our responsibility is to be there to keep them alive right so like when you're holding your marines and they're bleeding out and crying your name into their mom and all that stuff like those are really hard things to do and it's a lot of weight for a person so like i know like all my corpsmen kind of struggled with a little bit of depression and stuff like that because we lost one guy thankfully it wasn't enough we had a lot of other like close calls uh, with guys being seriously injured uh but the one dude that i that we had die in our company um three total for the battalion um, it hurt because he was the dude, like he was the Marine. Everybody wanted to be, he was an awesome guy, looked out for his dudes. He wasn't even supposed to be on the patrol that day, like took it over for someone else. Right. So like, and that's always the story. It's always the guy that, that wasn't supposed to be there there and would sacrifice himself a thousand times over for his boys. Uh, so it hit us hard, you know? And so we get back and we, we try to reintegrate with civilization who has no idea what we did over there. Um, and and it, real quick, so when you guys come back and you're trying to reintegrate, does the military give you classes? Like, do corpsmen and behavioral people, like, do they have things that help the integration? Or is it, go see your family and that should be good? Or, like, like from your standpoint, Bill, like, how do you help Marines that go through that? No, yeah, we do. And it's it's kind of hit or miss, though, because it depends on, uh, you know, how... One, how motivated the, the debriefers are. Okay. And then two, you know... Um, how motivated are the people who are coming back willing to to get help, yeah. right? And so, you know, we all come back and, you know, my situation was a little different because we were in a first-class country, yeah. you know, we had first-class meals, room and board, you know. It's different than being in a Exactly, and so we didn't really skip a beat when we left. We were just gone, and yeah. that was, you know, that was difficult, but, so you know, you're I, not reintegrating to, like, oh, my wife and kids are home versus... I like am not used to like being in civilian world. Type it's, thing. it's a there's a lot of things that you have to and we do get like redeployment briefs when okay. we come back and like the leadership tells us you know like your family has been functioning without you. Yeah. So when you get back home, don't take everything that your family has been doing because they have a system now. You haven't been a part of their lives for six to nine to twelve months. So like when we come home and we're like yeah I'm home I, I want to do stuff like your wife takes out the trash. And that's what she's been doing. You know, she cooks for the family. And how does that make you feel? Like how, like, cause we have a lot of obviously military spouses yeah. that listen. How does that like feel? Cause yeah, you have, there's, there's kind of no option, but to do your life while your service member is gone. And then you come home and you do want to reincorporate them, but you do have a schedule. Yeah. So like how can a military spouse better help their service member when you do come home, try like, do you, would it be better if your spouse did say like, Hey, go take out the trash? 
No, I mean, not necessarily. So, like, for me, like, communication was the thing, you know? So, like, when I got back, like, I kind of waited for a second and saw her routine yeah. and then, like, filled in what I could. So, I was like, what can I help with? Like, mm-hmm. I know you've been doing this, but I can take some things off your back. Yeah. Um, but, like, you, you feel awkward. You don't want to step on people's toes. But it's as a, as a relationship, you need to communicate. Yeah. Like, that's the number one thing, right? And it, we'll talk about, I'm going to bring up communication, like, six more times probably in this conversation, but... That's like the number one thing is like reintegration is just like talking to each other, seeing where each other are at because a lot of got like when I got back, I was depressed. Like I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to talk to people. Anytime I went outside the house, I was nervous, like driving down the road. I would have like little like freak out attacks, yeah. like, uh, like crowded. I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to sit in the house. I wanted to stay safe. And like, that's how I felt because I didn't have my boys. I didn't have my gun. Like I didn't have anything, you know, like, so it was a really awkward like thing for me. Um, but did you feel like you had those instances, um, that you see in like movies or like TV shows where it's like, you like hear a sound and it's like, Oh, that like, like, so I'm not saying that that's not real, but I'm saying like how, if you do experience things like that, how can civilians and like your military spouse and things like that, like how can we be better understanding and helpful when you are going through those like readjustment periods? For me, it was just like someone being there. Okay. Um, they didn't even necessarily have to ask questions because yeah. like a lot of the time, no one is going to understand. Like, And it, it definitely happened. Like I would have like little panic attacks driving and I'd pull off the side of the road. And my wife then really didn't understand. And so she was like, oh my God, what's like what's going on? Like, you yeah. know, like freaking out. And it, it didn't necessarily make things better, yeah. easy, right? Because like men, as you know, like are stubborn. We're, we are stubborn and like... I was very reluctant to seek help because I'm so stubborn and it's like, if I can't fix it myself, no one can fix it for me. So um, for Bill, when you get somebody like that, how can you best help them when they are stubborn? Or if you if somebody's like, hey, my husband really needs help or my wife really needs help, how can, as the professional, are you like, just bring them to me or like... Yeah, no, so I, I've actually been thinking about that, you know, all day today, so... Uh, it's it's a tricky tricky question, right? So yeah. sorry, um, I don't mean to throw no, 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 no. So it's, a good, it's a good it's a good, it question. a good question. It's a good question. So um, obviously, you know, the resources are there for the individuals to take advantage of. Uh, but Spencer just mentioned, you know, men predominantly are very stubborn, and people in general are stubborn. You know, if you tell us no, that's going to make us want to do yeah. said thing even more. Um, so if you kind of you know. And this isn't just the family, but even like, you know, unit leadership, peers, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen both sides of, of you know, good and bad of, of uh, referring people to, to mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you tell somebody like, hey, look, you need to go get seen straight up, they're going to be like, no, I'm not going to be seen. Yeah. I don't care to be seen. So how I've approached it wherever I've been is I just have a relationship with everybody I work with. I don't bring up what I do. I'm, I pretty much don't tell people what I do until it comes time to, to yeah. do it. I don't tell them I work in psych. I don't tell them I, you know, because the stigma is still real. Yeah. The stigma is still very real. Um, you know, so when people hear, oh, it's the psych guy or, you know, yeah. it's the, there's all types of nicknames out there. Um, then they kind of become guarded. Yeah. They kind They're of. They're like, he's probably analyzing me. Exactly. I'm say something. Yeah. And, but it's like, at the same time probably you you can't help it because that's your training right and then on the other hand it's like just like anybody else you can't your sometimes your profession doesn't stop you know like even if you're having a conversation and you've been trained in that you're like oh i, I don't like offer that like that like i can help them you know yeah and so you would be surprised 
how many people have, you know, would come up to you or would come up to me and that I wasn't even expecting to talk to because they just felt the need to get something off their chest and they're like, Hey, can we chat for a minute? And I'm like, cool, let's go talk. And so, um, I tell people wherever I go, you know, you don't need to tell me what's going on, but let me help you get to where somebody can help you with what's going on. And we have, you know, military, military members, the families, you know, we have so many resources available. It's unreal how many resources are out there for, you know, through MCCS, the Marine Corps side, we have fleet and family on the Navy side. Um, you know, we have all these hotlines and the chaplains and, you know, no, that's chaplains. I feel like are the hidden secret because if you're talking to a chaplain, there's not the whole like psych badge, you know, but then a chaplain can know who to go to if he's like, all right, Hey, I have this guy. And I think like, he's obviously opened up to me, but like, I need to bring you in because I know that this is like an issue. And that's what I've learned. Like chaplains are the best because they do keep your confidentiality, but they, I wouldn't say they have training, but they have like a little training when it comes to talking to people, but they have resource training. They know who to go to. And I tell everybody like the chaplains are great. Like even if you're not religious, like they won't sit there and preach you about the Bible if you don't want that, you know, but to just go to them because they know so many people and they're military, but I feel like they have this like lax about them because they're not going to like be mean to you type thing sure. because of their job. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, and I, I, I reiterate that, right? So like, you don't have to tell me because if Spencer and I work together, right? And yeah. so I obviously understood he, if he didn't want to tell me stuff, I got it because yeah. we work 10 feet from each other. Um, but if he did want help, I knew the, pro- the appropriate to. people yeah. to get him to. Um, and so that's, that's my, my big thing is, um, you know, when you try to force it on somebody, you know, that's only going to push them farther away from it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think men too have a more difficult time because it, it makes you vulnerable. Yeah. Like, and like a lot of Marines will avoid going to mental health because they know something's going on wrong, but it's, there's a possibility that it would take them away from their job yeah. and their friends and not being able, and like, we think a lot about like in that, in that aspect, you think a lot about like, how, what am I going to have to leave for my friends now? Because I have to go, yeah. you know? And so like people don't want to be labeled as vulnerable or broken and stuff like that. But like a lot of the time, like the guys that like, they lay down their pride and they take the step to go forward and say like, Hey, like. I'm really not doing that great. Those are the guys that do better. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the guys that kind of shut in and compartmentalize and and like keep everything in and try to fight it themselves. That's those are the guys that don't do as well. So, but it it is a very vulnerable state to be in because you kind of have to like sacrifice everything that you're going through and it makes you look weak to men. So it's, it's a difficult hurdle. And I do have, I'd love telling this story because it's, you see both sides of it, right? So the Marine Corps is very, uh, like Spencer said, it's, you don't want to be vulnerable. You yeah. don't want to throw And it's, I don't know if that's just a culture thing or not, I but I think it's definitely a culture thing. I think you know, it's just and, the way that they like act and talk and right. And the, so the look of who you are, if you're yeah. a Marine. Yep. So when I checked in to eighth Marine regiment, um, you know, I was brand new, motivated, you know, our whole team, the four of us were all excited to get going and, yeah. and help out and stuff. So we had this sit down with our colonel at the time. Um, and, you know, I, I picture him in my head and he's straight out of a movie. So he's like a high and tight, gray hair, <laughs> heavy bags under his eyes, a fat dip in his mouth. And I'm like, wow, this guy's probably done and seen some stuff, right? Yeah. And so he sits us down because he wants to meet with the, the, the mental health team. Mm-hmm. And we talk for 30 or so minutes. And then at the very end, he tells us, you know, 
look, I, I appreciate you guys being here, but I don't want you here. Yeah. And he was like, because his quote was, I am the CEO of a corporation that provides security for America. And what you do is you take my security guards away from me and don't allow me to do my job. And then that at that point, the four of us kind of like sank in our chair and we're like, okay, well, we kind of know how this is going to go with yeah. this guy. But the way that the Marine Corps works is he was gone four months later, yeah. deployed, whatever. And then the new guy that replaced him had the same brief with him and he was extremely uh, supportive and yeah. wanted us to be in, integrated in each battalion and, well, and, my thing is and like, stuff like that. I get what he says when he's like, you take him away, but... If you're able to help them before it gets to that point, then, you know, because kind of what you said, he was like, you'll leave. So, for example, like, my experience, like, I'm needing to sort in high school. And I remember that, like, I didn't really want to get help and I didn't really want to get better. And my mom looked at me and she was like, you'll miss your senior year. Like, you will get admitted. You will not cheer. You will not do all these things if you don't get better. And for me, that was my motivation because I was like, I have to get better. I have to go to therapy. I have to do these things so I don't miss those things. So I think it is, like, a very fine line there is like kind of a side to it but I think kind of what you said if you're able to be there and help some guy who like is just realizing like hey I have anxiety and this is like something I need to help with that's better than four years down the road he can't be a marine anymore because Mm -hmm. his anxiety is too bad for sure yep and that was our doc's arguments was you know would you rather have would you rather have somebody who needed help and give him a fully loaded weapon an environment where who knows what may happen if this guy or girl doesn't get the treatment that they need. And so, but it's, it's, I think it's changing the, I call it a gray, we're in the gray area now. So law, like 10 years after I'm gone from mm-hmm. the Navy, you know, the people who do this job will benefit 10 years from now rather than the last 10 years of what I've seen. Yeah. Um, so I think the shift is happening. Um, I don't know how long it'll take before everybody will be on board. Are you saying like the but... shift of getting help is good and talking yeah. about yeah. it? You like know? just awareness overall. Yeah. I think like, Marines know right now who their resources are and like they're they're more open to being able to like go in and talk to people Um, and it is a good push like military medicine as a whole is like improving like our ability to connect to guys and and to get people help because we do understand like if you don't fix the Marines mind he's not going to be able to use his body Mm -hmm. so I think that's what a lot of people like have strive to do in military medicine continues to get better at so yeah like like you said like 10 years from now like people will have much better resources than we had or 10 years before us, you know? That's yep. cool. Yeah, I remember when I said that Jade and you were coming on and I was like, hey, do you know who your corpsman are? And he's like, heck yeah, I do. And he like listed them off and he started telling me stories and stuff like that. And I think from a civilian viewpoint, in our mind, like TRICARE is like the Naval Hospital. You know, like I, you don't remember that you do have all these medical people with you. But like if he was deployed in Afghanistan, you do realize that they're there. But even like day to day, I remember he, I was like, okay, we'll go talk to him. And he's like, yeah, I can't, I can't go do that. You know, and like realizing that, yeah, they are there and they do know, but sometimes it's like, oh, I can go to him. I know I can, but like, let me actually like walk my butt over there to do that. For sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I was in Lejeune, that was my big selling point to the guys I was in charge of. And I worked with is it's not the Marines' responsibility to get to know you. It's your responsibility to get to know them. Because if you have, if you can even talk to them about one thing that can build that rapport, yep. then they're like, "Oh, but I can talk to him about that, and maybe I can wiggle in there. He can, he can maybe sense something, and then you know." And yeah. I think for Marines specifically, like with my husband, because I feel like he's the one 
kind of like we're talking about stubborn and I don't want to be vulnerable, you know, things like that. And I tell anybody that ever wants to get to know Cade, you just have to find an end to like create a conversation that he knows like, oh, I have this, this level playing field to then communicate. So like, oh, if you want to talk to me about the Marines, like when my family was like getting to know him and they're like, he's so quiet, you know, I'm like, but if you talk to him about something that he is comfortable talking with, you can then go into so many more conversations. And I feel like that's some like a misconception with Marine Corps. It's like, they all look like the commercials and it's like, yeah, they are that, but you can break that shell a lot easier than you think. For sure. Yeah. You guys, you got guys who are photographers, you got guys who are <laughs> video gamers, yeah. you know, mechanics, you yeah. got like, you got people across the board. And so, but if you have a common interest in something, you know, that can just start uh, a good relationship. You yeah, know? No, I, don't, I totally agree. Okay. So Spencer, back to communication. What do you feel like is your big, you're like, Hey, this is what we need to know. This is what needs to be done. Military spouses, listen up. So, yeah. So really like to the military spouses first, like you're not going to understand everything that they're going through and it's okay. Right. To just be there for the service member and, and give support and love. And if you need resources and that kind of stuff, um, like, ask for that for that service member or, yeah. or try to connect it, it yourself. Um, another thing is like, I, I think like people being with their own people sometimes is like the best thing. So like if you don't necessarily feel like you're the person that your spouse needs to be like talking to, like mm-hmm. reach out to like his friends and say yeah. like, Hey, come over to the house. We'd like to have you guys here. Stuff like that. Like th- things where like you can, you can get your service member comfortable because mm-hmm. that's where, when things are going to happen is when they feel comfortable and able to let their guard down, then they will, right? Yeah. Um, and then for like military members, like lay down your lay down your pride, right? Like it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to um, to feel like you're you're not as strong as you are, mm-hmm. because when you come out of it, you'll probably be more s- strong than you started, right? And I think that's like a lot of like what his school is at now. It's like to build resiliency and to like understand like your resiliency level. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's okay to like be aware of those things. So if you're, if you're aware of your feeling down or feeling depressed or anything like that, it's okay to be aware of that, um, and seek help. Right. And I think that was the biggest like thing I had to get over with. Cause I'm very prideful. Um, all the men in my family, you know, are very stubborn, quiet, reserved men. Mm-hmm. Um, and like my grandfather deployed in Vietnam and I never heard him tell a story until I got back and he told me stories and like he broke down and was like crying, you know, cause it was a, it was a bond that we had that no one else had in our family. Um, so like finding those relationships and bonds where you feel safe and you can, you can give that information out. It'll make you feel better. Um, and it, it will help you in the long run. Don't hold it in because that's when bad things happen. Uh, we only had three on our deployment die, but I think we've had like 17 commit suicide since we've been home and yeah, almost every year, like, another one happens another one happens and like and obviously that plays a role on you because you're continuing to lose guys yeah so like bill from that standpoint if spencer wasn't your friend and he was just somebody that was coming to you what would have you said or done to try and help that you know it's i I, he's part of you know several facebook groups and you know he so there are facebook groups out there yeah there's plenty of support groups and really it's just like getting connected to your people Yep. Okay. And it's, you know, getting that support group and, you know, like in a local area. So obviously Oceanside, Pendleton area, like there's all types of support groups here. Um, down on San Diego, we have the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's pretty much just my job to 
uh, give those resources out because we do, it's, it's a little overwhelming how many uh, are available to service members um, to the point where, you know, you just, you know, pick whichever one you want and you'll find something. Um, and so, you know, at that point, we would try to see, you know, what his goal is. If, if when you come to mental health, we, that's one of the first questions we ask is what, what do you want us to help you with? Right. Um, and so if they're like, you know, I just want to get better. I mean, that's a pretty vague, you know, response, but you know, some people are looking for medication. Some people are looking for just a chat, someone to, to vent to and stuff like that. Um, and you'd be surprised how many people only come to us once or twice. They get a bunch of stuff off their chest and then we never hear from them again. Uh, but as that goes to what he was saying, you know, sometimes you can't talk to your wife about some things that are going on at work or you can't talk to, uh, you know, your bosses or leadership or stuff like that. So, you know, just having that outlet, uh, you know, is, is good for good for anybody, you know, and the docs I work with, we all vent to each other. We we complain, we, you know, we complain about work, yeah. stuff like that. And then we all kind of laugh and we're like, cool, thanks for doing that, you know, because even the psych docs need to to let some steam off, you know, sometimes, too. So. Um, you know, everybody needs it. Everybody needs an outlet. So, okay. So because you can't say certain things or you, they won't understand, which I get, I feel like that's a conversation I have with Kate a lot. Like, well, you're not at work, so you don't understand. And I'm like, okay, can you tell me like what you want to talk about? Or can you like, even if I don't understand what you do in artillery, I still want to hear about your day. You know, like that was something we had to work through because he'd be like, well, you don't understand. So why should I tell you? And it's like, because I think it'd be good for you to like decompress about your day, you know, and things like that. So for a spouse that either whether it's their husband was at war or just a bad deployment or just a bad day at work and they can't talk or they don't know how to or they don't understand like what advice do you have for the spouse yeah so you know i think probably the most underutilized uh resources that are that are out there are like the mccs services mm -hmm. you know fleet and family what are like the the breakdowns are like the variables inside the MCCS or like the Slayton family. Yeah, so they have all types of, you know, they have a... The MFLOC. Yeah, you know, was it the life coach, right? Yeah. And they have, you know, for people who have uh, financial issues okay. or spiritual issues or, um, you so know... you can pretty much go there and get whatever. You can get whatever you want, right? And so we tell our service members too um, to talk to their families about use, utilizing these, right? Like, hey, if you're gone for six months and, you know, um, for instance, at the, when I deployed, we had a family readiness readiness officer, the yeah. flow, right? Who was kind of in charge of directing all the traffic to the families and stuff like that. Um, I told my wife, I'm like, if you have any questions, like, ask him. He's there every day. He's there. He, you have his phone number. His, you know, he's a retired uh, Marine, you know, who knows the ins and outs and can probably break it down pretty sim simple for her. Um, and I don't think people utilize those services enough yeah. um, and they're everywhere. Right? I just learned, um, so I had another podcast today and I just learned that military source one will give you 10 free, um, counseling or like therapy sessions a year. Yep. Like, what the heck? That's so cool. But yeah. like, and that's what I was talking to the girl about. I was like, you could probably think like, Hey, why, like, why would I need to do that? Or like, what could it really benefit? But like 10 free sessions, even if you got nothing out of it, you're able to experience it and maybe you did learn something or maybe it helped. Because I know you can do like self and like marriage type thing, mm -hmm. but I think that's the crazy thing about the military is how many resources there are that you have no clue. Yeah, and I think and it it could be kind of tough too because we have we do serve the member you know yeah. and not necessarily the the family or yeah. the spouse, so it is kind of tough to you know we can't talk about what these Their husband said these or... people tell us and yeah. you know stuff like that, um, so there are barriers there, but 
you know, that's the, my biggest <coughs> thing is when we do talk to spouses, it's like, Hey, look, go to, you know, go to MCCS and, and just chat with them because yeah. they can give you reintegration techniques. They can give you all these classes of welcoming home your, your service member and your yeah. spouse. Um, and they can, you know, break it down, you know, to the smallest level of what to expect, how to manage expectations, you know, stuff like that. That's cool. So Spencer, you said kind of like coming home, there's things that you don't talk about, which is totally understandable. And there's things like you talked about, you said that Jay still doesn't even know to this day, you know, what would your advice be to a military spouse? If there's things that you don't want to talk about and that's kind of off limits, which totally makes sense. Are there topics that you're like, that's like a safe, good topic. And that like that, that helps. Or if you're feeling frustrated because I won't talk about that topic, like what advice would you even give to like this, the service member? Like, is it just coming up with another topic or is it just saying like that is off limits? I don't want to talk about that for that never to be brought up again. Generally, like it doesn't get brought up. And like, those are like people would ask me like how it went or like any, and I would tiptoe around because a lot of it was my defense and my guard, my shield up. Like I'm not going to even get close to that subject because then they're going to ask me questions. And some people, they will ask like, you know, especially like little kids, you know, like, Oh, didn't you kill anybody? Like those are questions like you don't want to answer. And like, that's not, it it isn't appropriate. Um, so I would say like for spouses, like be like considerate, Mm -hmm. um, of it and don't press the issue because that'll make things worse. Um, so like just be supportive if he doesn't want to talk about it doesn't feel comfortable talking about it i wouldn't press it and for the military member i would say like establishing like a clear like if you get asked a question by somebody someone that you care about um just be frank with them and say like i, I don't really want to talk about that with you yeah, because you have, like that set yeah yeah it, a lot of it for me was like i didn't want my wife thinking different of me uh-huh. you know so like war is hell and yeah. like things happen over there that like you'll hold on for the rest of your life and you're like if i tell her she might she might think of me and do yeah and you know like some of the things that we do over there like it's it's either you do it or you die or yeah. your buddies die you know so like it's it, things that you will never have to experience mm-hmm. as a civilian so your mind can't even process yeah. like well would i have done that because yeah. you're not even put in that situation so how can a, you expect a civilian to like gauge that properly and then like understand it yeah and so that's like i think the biggest disconnect is guys like they do make a lot of sacrifices over there and they come back and when people ask them about it you don't want to be labeled as like the bad guy because you had to do things to protect yourselves and your friends so you guys seen the movie the outpost no okay so it's on netflix yeah i've watched it like four times i think it's like really (laughs) really good and i did an episode about like just military things in general and i've talked about it um because the medal of honor episodes that you recommended is two of the guys received the medal of honor from that so like it's so was it the one in the what the valley surrounded yeah yeah i can't remember the name but Mm -hmm. the army like Mm -hmm. valley and then what what, martinez um so it was uh, oh, I'm going to blame on Carter and Romache. Okay. The two guys that got the Medal of Honor. And it's the most, like, decorated unit in mm-hmm. the Army. Like, yeah. pose. And they, I think those were the first two guys that received the Medal of Honor from, like, being alive right. in, like, 50 years or something like that. So, really, really good. I would tell you to watch it. Um, I did, like, preface, which obviously this won't bug you, but, like, there is, like, a lot of language and violence, you know, for my yeah. other, like, non-listeners. I was like, Mom, you should watch it, but like, you need to, like... <laughs> Just be aware. But yeah. it was so eye-opening as, like, a civilian. So, like, one of the, the guys talked about, he's like, oh, you call home? And he's like, no, because all I do is lie. 
Like what you know? Yeah. And from being the wife aspect, I'm being like, oh my gosh, I couldn't he can't like he wouldn't call. But then I literally talked to Kate, I was like, after he said that, I like can understand. Yeah. That like if someone was like, Why is your husband call? Like, because he's not gonna be able to tell me the truth and like in my mind I would probably hate being lied to, you know, and some other guy was like I mean, yeah, I call home because in his mind he could in the relationship he had. And for the military spouse, it was so eye-opening. Yeah. And, like, Cade watched it. We watched it. I watched it by myself. And I was like, do you want to watch it again? <laughs> and so we watched it. And then after watching the Medal of Honor episodes, because the real guys were talking about it and they, like, relive things. And it was so eye-opening. And the things they went through. And then, like, yeah, how coming home, one of the guys that got the Medal of Honor really struggled because he couldn't save his buddy. Yeah. You know? And, like, they just talked about those things. And I think because we're not at war right now, civilian-wise, we kind of forget that there are still guys in the service that have gone to war and that have experienced those things. And... They're veterans that have experienced those things. And I think sometimes it's not talked about. And I feel like that can be really hard. So we're not at war right now. How can civilians, military spouses, even like current active duty, like, or even if you're reserved, like, how can we better understand, be more accommodating and like with people that have had to experience those things? And like from the psych aspect, how... Just how can we be better because we know you guys went through those things. We can't change the fact that you went through those things. But we don't want to be the ones who are like, oh, you're triggering me. You're like, oh, I have PTSD. You know, things like that. Yeah, so, well. <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot, you know, and we, uh, we pretty much tell people there's a lot of literature out there. Um, there's a lot of documentary. There are a lot there, you know, where I, where I work now, there's a lot of case studies that yeah. kind of build the schoolhouse that we're at. Um, and so, you know, we recommend just reading, we, you know, recommend reading, uh, listening to, uh, you know, interviews of people talking about their experiences and stuff. Um, but yeah, it is, you got to tread lightly because if you run into somebody that you're not, that you don't know, or they're not comfortable with you or anything like that, you know, you do have to kind of, you know, tread that water uh, lightly. And do you feel like it's better to just be like, like as like a, a very broad rule, like unless they bring up something, right. it needs to be like a short and sweet conversation. Yep. They're not even like brought up until they brought it up. You know, like thank you for your service and that is the end of it. Yeah. Like do you feel like that should be a more like societal respected rule or like Yeah, I mean I I think a lot of the times that I've been asked by like civilians, it happens a lot like with my family. Mm-hmm. Um because only my grandfather was in and no one else has served yeah. or my aunt was in the army for a little bit. Um, but whenever I get asked questions, it's like, Oh, did you deploy? I'm like, yeah, Afghan. And they're like, Oh, how was that? And I was like, it's all right. Yeah. You know? And so like a lot of the time, like we can do a good job on ourselves, like not stepping in too far. Yeah. Um, but for like civilians asking questions, like most of their questions are broad already, you yeah. know, cause they don't have an understanding. So, I don't think there's any written, like, we, sh- we shouldn't necessarily establish anything. Yeah. The, the farther we get away from war, the harder it will be for people to realize what war is. Yeah. You know, so, like, when it, whenever it first kicks off, there's always so much love and support for veterans and people coming back and all that stuff. And by the tail end of it or during a war, yeah. it, it kind of goes away. You know, you kind of, the country will kind of lose pride and stuff like that. Um, well, at least people I go think, back to their day to day. You yeah. know, like when it first hits and everyone's deploying and they're like, all they see is deployments and parents saying goodbye and spouses yeah. saying goodbye. It's like, oh my gosh, that's so hard. But then, 
a week later, you're you're back to your daily life. And I think yeah. now as a civilian, like even for like Memorial Day, like now living on a base and like really being entrenched in like what Cade lives. My Memorial Day was so much different than any other Memorial Day I've ever had, you know, yeah. because I was like, this is what we're doing and we are paying respect and we're doing, you know, and things like that. And I think that sometimes, and like, I was pretty strict with my family. I was like, we will be doing this and we'll be talking about this. And just because if you're, you're not about it, you're not understanding and like, hey, this is because of these people, you know, right. and things like that. And I think it's really interesting that like you said we're we're not in war so you forget about it so do you wish that people would remember in a sense i don't like i don't know if that's the right question yeah or like, and have like some level of awareness yeah. you know and like people that don't know military members when they ask questions they generally are broad and i, and I think it's good mm -hmm. like i think when i get asked questions about my military experience like i try to tell people like as honest as i can um so that they get a general understanding i think last time we were on leave we were talking like uh with jade's family mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily really understand like what we did yeah and so we were like telling i was like yeah yeah i went to war and like you know like i had a, like a bunch of combat trauma patients and you know like guys like losing their legs Will you tell the story i think you told it when we were at dinner with the guy with the foot oh yeah so <laughs> he stepped on it and then it blew off and like we ran no, up no to no it. the one that came to you was like doc i need help and then you're like we can't we gotta go later Oh, he got shot yeah. in his foot. Yes, yeah. When he got shot, yeah, the bullet went into the, like the heel and the leather closed up and we didn't know. And I was like, no, nah, man, if I take the boot off now, your ankle's going to swell. Um, well, we're just he didn't know when he got shot. On. We had no clue. We thought he got hit by a rock because he had like a little mark on the backside of his boot. And so then we go to the hospital later to check on a guy that had been shot in the back. Um, and we took stump or I don't know if I can say stump. <laughs> so we took him up to the hospital to get x-rays and um he pulled off his boot and like blood clots and everything were like falling out of his boot we're like hold up stop what, what's going on and so yeah he got shot from like the back of the foot and it went up through his toe um or in between his toes and then the round was actually lodged like in his in his boot which is pretty cool um and he said that, like, they had no idea. We had no so, clue. Like, the dude went, like, 14 mm -hmm. hours, like, in a fight. Because we, we fought all day long. Um, and he and fought, like, 14 like, hours. I have, I have videos of him, like, outrunning other Marines. There was at one point he picked up a guy that, like, tore his ACL or, ACL or something. He, like, picked him up on his shoulder. He's, like, running into the bird. Like, oh, my God. First of all, this man, like, stump, if you listen to this, like, <laughs> this man was a, a freak. Like, he was, I'm six foot three. He's just. Tall maybe is me, but like just built like an absolute like fridge. Yeah. Uh, he's a lumberjack now, I think, oh, and cool. he is a monster of a man. Like, I he could have got shot eight times, and we probably wouldn't have known, and he would have acted no different, and probably still would have outperformed everybody. Just this guy was a top notch marine, like yeah, awesome dude. But um, I forgot what we were talking about. Uh, we were just talking about like the vagueness of people like asking questions and like what they go through yeah so I, I do think it's good for people to have an understanding um and it kind of meshes those two worlds um and it gives them more appreciation for what we do because yeah. a lot of people don't know that memorial day is for the ones that have fallen yeah. right and so i think i think civilians could do a better job of understanding and if you are in in a relation with like a military spouse like or military member feel free to ask questions because like we want to tell you guys yeah. as much as, like, you probably want to know about what we do. Um, I would say, like, 
if you know they've been to combat, be sensitive, yeah. right? Like, don't ask, like, the upfront questions, like, yeah. you know, like, the, the hard ones. Like, keep it general. If the member wants to divulge Let that information, kind of like yeah, the yeah. If, if they want to give you that information, because there's some guys that will talk about it all day long, and yeah. especially to like other military members, they'll tell you every story that they ever went through. You know, I mean, when you left the house when you guys came up for dinner, he was like, "I love talking." <laughs> yeah, like, so yeah. Up, like telling all your fun stories. Yeah, I mean, like, so, obviously they're not fun, but you talking about it, like Cade loved. Yeah, that. yeah. So like we'll talk very openly to each other, and some guys will even do that to civilians, even if they don't think they'll understand. So like, yeah. I would say for a good rule, would just be kind of sensitive and allow the the sit or like the uh, service member to kind of drive the conversation. Um, and if, if you feel like maybe you're asking too many questions or getting too into it and that he's kind of turning off from what yeah. you're asking, like maybe just back off a little bit and, it, and it's okay to do that. Like you, you've built some common ground here of understanding, but it, it is good for people to want to like know what we do. It gives us a little bit more pride and it shows like people care. You know, I feel like that a lot of the time, like military feel like they're separate. Like when I go home, I'm awkward to like my civilian friends that I grew up with. Like, I'll tell them stuff or I'll say stuff and they're like, what is that? That yeah. is not. You know, so I, I think it's good to have, like, those relations and, and people asking questions. It, it is a good thing. Which so. is why I love the podcast because that's how I felt when I got married. And, like, a lot of Cade's family was more military than mine. But the only thing my family knew was my two uncles served. And, right. like, I wrote letters as a kid to them and that was, like, pretty much it, you know. Because they weren't as super close with us so I didn't see them day to day to, like, understand it. And how much of a gap there really is. And, like... The podcast for me is so cool because I learn so much and you're able to bridge that gap. And like, I have probably like 50 50 military to civilian listeners, and my civilian listeners love it because they're like, I learned so much. And like, you don't realize like how uneducated you are because it really is another world and you don't want it to be another world, but it is another yeah. world. Mm -hmm. And like, bridging that gap and trying to figure out how, because we're never going to understand somebody that goes to war, just like someone's never going to understand what it's like to be a military spouse, but understanding the basis of it and like there's the facts or like the day-to-day -day, like this is what is to be expected I feel like just helps much more because it's like simple questions that you ask or like instead of them getting mad that you couldn't come home because your leave got canceled they now know how leave works and it's not that we don't want to come home yeah. it's just that we can't right <laughs> now you know things like that so to close Bill what do you feel like is your best advice kind of in the mental health, like obviously you're gonna say, go get help and don't be afraid of that. But is there anything that you're like, this I've really seen be beneficial to service members when they are struggling or anything in that kind of like realm, whatever kind of closing advice you wanna give? Yeah, no, I would, I mean, obviously, yeah, the the uh, the answer is to go get help <laughs> if you need it, obviously, but um, I, I think, you know, more so uh, just you, seeing what resources are available for you um, and just picking the one that is most you're most comfortable with. Yeah. And if, if that is, you know, going to see a chaplain, cool. If that is going to see your, you know, mental health team at the hospital or with, within your unit, cool. Um, if that's just talking to, uh, you know, your, um, you know, your unit leadership, whatever, yeah. you know, just have an outlet. Uh, and I think the guys that do that um, can get through whatever issues they're dealing with at the time, as long as they have some someone or somebody to talk to, um, you know, and it's, you know, we see, and by the time that they come to see us, you know, that the they're, it's in their med, um, medical record, excuse me, uh, you know, and they're being seen at the hospital, 
you know, that's when things have bottled up to the point where, okay, this is going to take quite a bit uh, yeah. to, to work with this individual um, rather than, you know, if you have an issue at the time, talk to someone about it and, you know, the rest will take care of itself. And maybe you can't answer this question, but like for the service members listening and you're kind of like, well, if I get help, I'm going to leave my team or, you know, like, is there kind of like a, a spectrum or like a, Hey, going to see a medical, like your doc once is not going to like make them medically separate you. Right. Like, is there, is there like any peace of mind that you can like give that like getting help will not get you kicked out unless it's like a far end, like, serious like for example like somebody in Kate's unit has tried to commit suicide a couple times and is currently at the hospital and they've been having to like help him and you know like he's been on watch and all those kind of things but like that's a very like more serious case which could possibly because you can't be trusted in certain things and stuff like that but is there like kind of a range that you could be like hey getting help like for example when Jade went to her family like her, her uh, other I think it was her other corpsman and he was like hey I have a problem Obviously, that didn't just get her kicked out of the military. Right. So is there like a, a spectrum of like getting help is not going to just automatically mean a medical separation? No, that's a that's a great question. So we actually do teach that, right? And okay. So if you talk to a psychologist, that's the ones who are just providing therapy and coping uh, you know, mechanisms and stuff like that. No, of course not, right? Okay. Like, uh, But once you start dabbling in the meds, right, the medicine, yeah. um, obviously some medicine is restricted for... Yes. You know your rifle access. You know our okay, aviators. So there is things like that where, like, if you're on a certain medi- medication, you cannot yeah. go to the range. You can't you drive. Know. Right. You can't hold okay. a weapon. Yeah. But at the same time, to you know, draw back to what you were talking about earlier, the medication is the very last right. resort. So you know, if you are on med- medication, you probably don't need to be going to the rifle range or <laughs> yeah. potentially going on a deployment. Yeah. Um, things like that. But no, if you go be seen by your mental health team. You will not be flagged on your medical record. You're not going to be flagged at your unit level. Uh, we do hold a confidentiality. Yeah. We have a separate, uh, you know, all corpsmen in medicine, right? Like we, we do have a confidentiality agreement, but uh, psych has a separate, you know, we, yeah. you know, we're pretty, um, Spencer can even tell you like, I'll have guys come in and we can't talk to anybody about what we discussed in, in my room and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but there is a level of like, because I don't want someone to listen to me like, well, I tried to commit suicide and Kenzie said that I wasn't going to get separate. You know, like, <laughs> there is, like, a level of, hey, being in the military is not good for your mental health because you need to go get help. Yeah. But there is, like, a, a, a gap that you yeah. can go talk to those people and it's not going to affect you negatively through your leadership or your career. Yeah, and we've even had patients who, you know, have ultimately did try to commit suicide and they, six months later, were thriving, right? And yeah. so if you get to the point where you're, thinking of hurting yourself or, or doing some of these acts, you know, that's not necessarily a career ender either. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you end up getting seen for it, there, there's an extensive, you know, this, these things don't take, uh, you know, a couple of days or a couple of weeks. These are that's like, your diagnosis takes yeah. per, a couple months, you know, and multiple sessions and things like that. And so, um, yeah, so no, it, you won't be, you won't be, you know, pulled from your unit if you come see a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Um, and we talk about it to like security clearances. A lot of people are worried about that. Yeah. That's, you know, the, the stat is like 99% of people who have been seen by mental health maintain their security clearance and stuff like that. Um, so it's a pretty large number. And so, you know, yeah, all of those things that people are worried about, about their job and stuff, you're for the most part, pretty safe. Right. Okay. Well, and that's then, good to know. So if you're listening yeah. and you're concerned or you're like my 
service member won't do this, or if you're a service member and you're listening, like, Bill told you, go do it because it's going to be better in the long run, whether... Bill stamped. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, certified. I think I think for the most, like like I said, the majority of people, you're gonna be fine. And, and nine out of ten times, it's better to go get help than yeah. not, right? And like nip it in the butt early, so you don't have to worry about it in the end, you know? Like yeah. and like things do progress. And if, if you're stuck there, sitting and trapped in your own prison mind, like yeah. like it's just gonna make things worse. But yeah. And then to the service members, like look out for your boys. Like you have a different relationship with them than anybody else does like you know when you're when your buddy's not having a good day like yeah. talk to each other that kind of stuff um and then like talk to a corpsman like they might not seem like they care or, like they're busy or whatever or blow you off but like we're here to do a job and um even to like this day like i i do my best effort to like talk to guys in my old unit even after you leave that unit and like those are your boys. Those are your boys forever. Look after them because, like, that's what's going to stop, like, the suicide rate from going up. Um, just, like, staying in contact with people. So yeah. yeah. And you said it, I think, on our episode as well. But if you go to somebody and they are not giving you what you want, you can go to another corner. Yeah, find can, somebody. You can – you yeah. can, there is chain of command rules, which I'm learning, which are kind of really annoying as a spouse. I'm like, why can't you just go get the answer? He's like, well, I have to ask him and he has to ask him, you know, things yeah. like that. But for medical reasons – there is there kind of like wiggle room when it comes to Jamie and like if you're one corpsman is kind of being a piece of crap but you can go to another one like they're you're yeah. not going to get like cut because yeah and I mean you can talk to like your so you can talk to the Navy leadership so like okay. if the corpsman's not doing his job you can talk to his your senior line if okay. he's not doing what he's supposed to do you can go talk to like the LPO like the leading petty officer or the chief okay. uh, which is the enlisted like yeah top um, and if they don't work, then you could talk to like, but you can go to other medical officers. If yeah. you don't feel like, if like, yeah. you're like, hey, me and the doctors don't get along, yeah. I need help, Find somebody. you can go. Yeah, and even in, in my world too, like, you know, I've had, and you know, you have good corpsmen, you have bad corpsmen, you have yeah. good doctors, yeah. bad doctors, right? So um, I'm not, I, I haven't worked with every single <laughs> yeah. great behavioral health tech, right, that's out there. So uh, I have had calls before where guys from other units are like, hey, Bill, can you help me with? Yeah. you know, this or that. And I have a, a, a sailor or Marine who needs help. And I'm, you do have to gauge them, right? Like, Hey, yeah. look, have you, do you know what this is about? Like, we're not at the same unit. Yeah. Um, have you gone the appropriate channels? Have you talked to your corpsman? He's like, yeah, but that's the last time I'll talk to them. So can you help me? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well then let me see what I can do. And so yeah. there is always something that can be done. Um, if you're not receiving the care or help yeah. that, that you're and, needing. And don't let it stop you too. Like guys sometimes will be like, I don't know if I should go talk to him because I might get in trouble. Like if the end result is like you getting the help that you need, yeah. like that's really what's important. Like people can get over getting yelled at. Like we all get yelled at all the time, right? So like, <laughs> people people will get over that. But like if you're truly in need and like you're not getting the help you need, you have to seek it. Yeah. So. Well, I just cannot say thank you enough for coming on and just being vulnerable and talking and I know so many people that will benefit from this and will learn a lot, and I think it will continue to help, kind of like you said, in 10, 15 years, like hopefully changing the stigma and helping people get help and that getting help is not a bad thing. And I just, I can't say thank you enough for taking time out of your day to come on. Yeah, no, thank you for having us. That, that was cool. This was fun. Good being back. <laughs> so thank you so much. Okay.
Okay, y'all, was that not just an amazing episode? Oh, I just loved it so much. Even just listening back and editing and like listening to it again, I just, I loved it. So to stick with the theme of mental health, I'm going to leave with a quote. And the quote is, mental health is not a destination, but a process. It's about how you drive, not where you're going. And I think that's really important because I think sometimes um, if you deal with mental health and you have an illness, you can kind of think that, all right, I'm defined by this, or this is kind of my end place. If I have depression, I'm not going anywhere. And I think it's really important to remember that dealing with it is just going to help you deal with your daily life. Continue to drive through your life and do those things, even if you have that attached, you know, and it doesn't define you. And I think it's really important to get help like we talked about and to not be afraid and I think there are so many resources out there like we talked about on this episode and I will link some of them in the podcast like post on Instagram just so that they're people are aware of where to go and to look for them and I totally recommend using your resources and knowing that there are people out there and that kind of like we finished off saying that if one provider or somebody doesn't get you the help or the resources that you need, that you can go to somebody else and to keep trying and to not give up if one bad doctor ends up crossing your path. And I'm really grateful that you guys tuned on. I hope you learned as much as I did and enjoyed it as much as I did. And I hope you guys have a great weekend and I will catch you next Friday.